0: Tell me if you remember. Me if remember. No telling if you remember. Yeah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Yeah. Welcome to the hashtag Haldasin Podcast. The show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. I mean, come on, guys. I got up this morning, and I'm here. It's a cold day. I had to walk all the way to East Hill to register and come back. And the least you can do is clap. <laughs> Welcome. Good morning. I am, this is talk is about community engineering. I've got to be honest with you. I've spoken about this, about mentorship, inclusion, and diversity in tech. For the last year and a half, and this is going to be the most honest talk I give because this is the last one to be here. So you're really going to get it. (laughs) So I am Kim Creighton. You can find me on Twitter. I do not do business cards. So um, you can find me on Twitter. I have a podcast called um, Community Engineering Report that I will be ending in December because I've made a pivot. Um, And you can find me on my website. I add my credentials here because as a black female from the South, there's somebody out there who's going to be like, why the hell should I be listening to her? So I put that straight up front. I have a master's in training and development. I have a doctor. I'm pursuing a doctorate in business um, administration specializing in technology entrepreneurship. My doctoral thesis, my doctoral study is on successful strategies for increasing organizational um, knowledge sharing and I'm focusing on mentoring in organizations. And I'm also writing a book, How to Leverage Organizational um, uh, Culture for Competitive Advantage. So that is why I'm here. Um, so, let me give you a little backstory. As Aaron said, I started last year, my first conference was last year at Scotland JS. And it started with a talk, Overcoming the Challenges of Mentoring. Because as I, I entered tech in 2014 after my father passed away. As the only child, that was my greatest fear. And because I didn't die, I was like, crap this, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And so I left education. Uh, I'm a certified special needs teacher. And so I left education. I was gonna go figure out this tech thing. I sent back a um, text to my family and friends. I said, I'm leaving education, I'm going into tech. And I put it in quotes. Because the next sentence was, when I figure that out, I'll let you know. And so um, I spent so much time About six months just going to conferences and and, and for the first time being black and female in the South was working for me because I was getting free stuff all over. I was going everywhere. I was like, what? I was in my first JavaScript conference and didn't even know what JavaScript was. I was like, but it was free, so hell yeah I was going. And so, so, uh, I mean, that was a lot. I mean, UX, UI, uh, artificial intelligence. I knew I was more than a consumer of tech. But I had never saw myself as a producer of tech. I was the person who would watch the Apple keynote not just for the products, but to see why they didn't do this or why they did this. It's just really interested in in things. And when I wanted to build a website, I YouTube. Man, I could follow a YouTube, a uh, WordPress video from start to finish, and I have a great product. That's what my current website is built on. Thank you very much. And so um, I went to, started speaking at conferences, and I was at a closure conference, and somebody was saying, "Can't work." We're um, engineers, I think you need, your title should be community engineer. I'm a researcher, I'm I'm an educator, so I was like, let me look up these words and see if they resonate with me. So for me, community is when I researched it, it was a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. It's like, okay, that sounds like me. Engineering, to arrange, manage, or carry through by successful or artful execution can do that too. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. So for me, community engineering is the intentional and skillful effort of creating environments which support the sharing of common attitudes, interests, and goals in order to grow a more inclusive and diverse technology community. Let me break that down to you. Okay, because I'm an educator. Let me just break this down to you. So the community part is the heart. The H-E-A-R-T. That thing, our mission, our vision, our passion, that thing that makes us get up in the morning and go, ah, it's a Monday morning, I'm happy to go to this place. (laughs) But it's that thing. And you know, you have these nonprofits; they they're mission-driven, or we have social responsible businesses, they're mission-driven. The problem I'm finding though is, how do you operationalize mission? How do you measure nice? How do you measure a response, being responsible to, um, to our customers? How do you measure that? <clears throat> most people can't because most people focus on a product or service which is not a business. A product or service is a product or service. You need to have underlying structures for it to be a business. And this is where I find that we're having challenges in our communities. So why do we need community engineering as I define it? Since technology now literally touches almost everyone, it is no longer the playground of just a few, it isn't economically prudent to build products or services that don't reflect the needs and desires of large proportions of your population. So it makes sense that the technology community is now focused on attracting more inclusive and diverse relationships, memberships. Okay, let's be honest. Uh, My podcast, The Community Engineer Report, I intentionally, as a black female growing up in the South, did not want to talk about inclusion and diversity with white people. Just didn't want to have that conversation. Um, My life was hard when it came to diversity and inclusion in Atlanta. I was the only a lot of the times. My mom sacrificed a lot so that I could be the only at the symphony, the only at um, ballet, the only in acting classes, the only... At a lot of things that my peers weren't experiencing. So I was like, I don't want to talk about your politics or your morals, especially in this climate that we have. But we need to have so I was like, how can I have these conversations in a way that means something to me? I'm getting a business degree. We're gonna talk about it from economics and, and business perspective. Because that's what this is. Let's be honest, most business owners, this is about business. And you can get upset about it. You can say, oh, that's not right. You can say whatever you want to. But at the bottom line, diversity and inclusion helps your bottom line. Period. Now, if that changes your spirit, then that's a bonus. Well, once we get in, you ain't getting us out. <laughs> so that's just the true nature of it. And when people start having, and that's why the reason I want to have my podcast. So I want to have the uncomfortable conversations that we're having in these small rooms, but we're not having in, in in public, because everybody's sensitive. People don't want to say this. You say something. If I say someone's crazy, I don't mean mental <laughs> illness, but then someone gets offended by that. People aren't thinking about intentions behind things, and people are 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 scared to have certain conversations. And we're not gonna get to the other side of this stuff until we have these complicated, uncomfortable conversations. White guys get over it for the first time. You're not the only experts in the room. And that's okay. We can learn from you and you can learn from us. I'm gonna tell you, you're playing by a totally different damn set of rules than I've been playing by. So I'm like, I got me a league of white guys. I don't need to make this up. When I have questions, I go to my legal white guys. How would you handle this? Because the black female from the South thing ain't working for me right now. You guys have the keys. You know what imaginary doors are. If you come up against something that we consider default, like, oh, you can't do that. You guys just like sidestep it. Like, that didn't even freaking exist. And we sit back like, what, how dare they? Screw that, I want to learn how to do it. Forget that, I'm following you. (laughs) Because you guys know the rules. And it's because the systems are built because you guys have power. It's not your fault, but you benefit from it. Let's have honest conversations about that. You benefit from it. I tell every person who wants to have a conversation about this to watch the three-part documentary, The Ascent of Women. It is on Netflix. She talks about, and this directly addresses the Google manifesto. She talks about all these beliefs that people have that women are where we are because of our minds or biology or psychology. She actually shows, I'm a, I'm a great historian, I'm a researcher, how in cultures where women were equal or, or in the dominant role, how those things changed because men wanted power. So don't think that we're here and we're we're behind because it's something we did or something that's a fault with us. It's the system. And that's why when I talk about business, I don't talk about silos. I want to change the system. Your culture sucks because your system sucks. I hate when people say, "Well, well, my department is great, but every no! So you're telling me you're living in Nirvana and the rest of the organization is living in batshit hell? <laughs> There's a problem with that. There's a systemic issue with that. And businesses are not going to change these inclusion and diversity numbers and this by bringing in women, people of color, people with disabilities. It's not gonna happen because as soon as we rotate in, the culture sucks, sucks, we're gonna rotate out, and then you use that as as an excuse to say, well, what, we tried. They just don't fit here. No, they don't fit in that crap. (laughs) But they fit in technology. So, too often, these are the things that are affecting inclusion issues. They know who we are, they know what we do, and they'll figure it out. Okay. Some of your egos are way too big. We don't know who you are. We don't care who you are. And if you want my attention, you need to come out of your ivory tower and come to me. I do not, it is not my responsibility to go to you. This is a big problem we have in tech. People, oh, I have these meetups, but no one's coming. How many people do you know, You already we already see, look at this room, very few women, very few people of color, and damn, very few women, people of color who are women. That right there is just like it. And so, that tells you we're not aware of this thing out here. So as an educator, if I wanted to reach you, I can't sit at my desk and say, well, You know where I am. I'm sitting right here. Name's on the door. Man, I would never cut my job. It is my job to engage with the student. To figure out where they are, what they need. Make it about them and not about you because it's not about you. Because you need us to make you successful. That's another thing I want to tell my my, my marginalized and underrepresented um, members. Do not let this industry dictate your value. Do not beg for a job. You figure out what you're good at and you tell them what your value is because they need you. They need your perspective at the table to create products and services that are of value. Take the microwave approach this stuff is hard so that means you're going to go out there and they're going to look at you like oh what does this white dude want Sheesh. and you're going to have to buck up put on a thick skin because this is what we've been living with all our lives if if you're feeling any discomfort it's only much of how much we feel every single day walking around in this world so buck up you'll be okay put on your big, big guy drawers and you'll be fine I'm not saying get abused but people don't trust the things that the power structures have done to people of marginalized underrepresented communities have been atrocious and you need to understand that when you go into these communities also that they're figured out again as an educator I mean just I have a group of 10 people. They're all mildly intellectual disabled. And I'm gonna be honest with you, that's a politically correct term for me. When I say mildly intellectual disabled, people say, oh, so can they learn this? Or why did they retain that? They don't get it. But when I say they're mildly retarded, people are like, oh, there's only so, so I need to be more, There's and no one likes the term, but people understand what that means. For some reason, the word intellectual disabled. For some people, they think, oh, if I push them a little harder. Well, all you have to do is frustrate yourself and the student, because they're not they're not going to remember tomorrow. You're going to be doing the same thing you did yesterday today. So, I'm here. Yeah, I can be a bit very abrasive. Yeah I do it on purpose. I really do. Um, because I figure when I, when I was in high school when I taught high school, if I could be as honest as I could be with those young people who were preparing themselves for the real world, you are adults. get over it. I'm, and you have to understand as they did my intention. So one of my students, one of the students she wasn't my student, she was going to be the valedictorian of the class. well, she was valedictorian. And all the teachers were patting her on the back, yay, congratulations. And she knew, she saw me coming. She knew this was going to be an interesting encounter because <laughs> I said, that's great. But you realize you're at the top of the bottom, right? <laughs> it did not take much for you to compete with these peers. You have not been out in the world because she was in the Title I school. She's only been around other black students and some of the worst black students. That school system had not prepared her to compete with anybody other than people who were worse than she was. So how what some people thought I was being hard, I was being honest. You have not competed. We need to prepare you to compete with people who are the top of their class in great school districts because that's not who you've been competing with. We need to have these honest conversations. challenges to community growth not understanding the difference between diversity and inclusion and why both are important so you can never say you didn't know I'm going to define them for you (laughs) diversity is inviting people to the table you can bring in every nationality you want and sit them at a table that table is diverse inclusion is listening to the perspectives of those individuals and making decisions based on those perspectives. If those people are just there when there's a photo op, that's just diversity and you're pissing people off. If those people are at the tables when decisions need to be made that affect an organization because they have a perspective that you don't have, I do not have a white male perspective, nor do I want it. So, why would I try to put myself in that position? If there are questions I have to ask about an experience that I don't know, I'm going to go to that group of people and say, hey, can you enlighten me on what this thing is? I'm not going to make assumptions because I have a friend. Yeah, I got one white friend. You know, he answers all my white questions. <laughs> Any white question I have, I go to this guy. That's why I have a league of white men, because they have all different perspectives. Not understanding that the goals and perspectives of current communities are different than ones that you, so you go into these communities and you want to, oh, I need to, we need to bring more women to this thing. We need to do this. You have your own itinerary or intentions. They have their own. You go into communities where technology, that, that phone is still a toy. They don't see it as a tool that we see it as. They don't see it as a a, a thing of power to enable them to better their lives and the lives around them. They see it as, oh, I can get a job doing this? Then that's where you have to meet them. Or, I don't even understand what this thing is. Tell me how can I, how can this, People can tell me this can empower me? I have no idea how this works. Meet them where they are. It's not about your goals, because once they get that, then your goals are met. Think about, uh, we're on a college campus right now. Their first week of school, how many credit card people, are, I mean, they passed that credit. I know they were when I was, a man, they gave me an American Express, I didn't have a job. I was like, what the hell, but I'm going to spend it. It was a mall down the street. Because they know that once you're your customer, if you're needing a mortgage or something, you're gonna think back on, Hey, they gave me this chance. And I'm also gonna to speak to people um, when we talk about mentoring. Oh, I don't wanna mentor anybody. I can't mentor anybody. It's, it takes about a year for them to, to level up and then by that time, they're gonna go somewhere else. Buddy, they're not leaving because you mentored them. They're leaving because they got the skills and your culture sucks and they're getting the hell out of there to go somewhere else. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. To like culture sucks when the hell out of there to go somewhere else. Fix your culture, stop blaming the person who's coming in. That's what we, we often do, we look for blame. It's their fault that they didn't fit in. Now let's question why several when it, it's like in relationships, when you meet the same female or male over and over again, and you keep having the same experience, at some point it's not them. There's yeah, sometimes some like, someone you have to say, maybe I'm the, something, <laughs> I'm doing something here. Not understanding the importance of putting resources where your mouth is. I'm going to talk about this in depth. <laughs> I am so sick of. Kim, come speak here. Kim, can I have it? Kim, can I have it? Where's the money? Where's the money? Oh, we don't have a budget for that. But then you tell what you're communicating to me is that is not valuable to you. So you can talk all the crap you want about how important inclusion and diversity is to you, but if you're not putting resources into it, you are lying. You are not, a, your values, because we, we value things we pay money for, just like how many of us, raise your hand if you have a Mac, any kind of Mac, any, you work on a Mac computer. Now raise your hand if you have a PC. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We 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 value, and it's. I value a Mac. I'm sorry. I just, it's just easy for me. I never want to work on a PC again. If I see a PC, to me that's like trailer trash. <laughs> and I don't care who gets offended by it. I have I have partake partaken in the apple cult, and I'm a part of the apple cult. I get it. I understand it, and I'm okay with that. We have to understand that. We have to put, but, but how much do I pay for? I can go get a $200 PC. My, my Mac keeps shutting off because it's seven years old and I need to get a new one. But I'm gonna hold on to that Mac to the, I'm not getting a freaking PC. I'm not. And so we need to understand that because I put, to me that's valuable. I paid $2,700 for this thing. It has gotten me through. Let's be honest, because a lot of—I know a lot of people recycled a whole bunch of PCs in the time that I had my mind. <laughs> so we put money into things that we value. Not being able to um, overcome the inherent mistrust. You know, we're in the South. Black people were pretty, treated pretty pissed poorly down here. You know what I'm saying? So when you come talking to us, we always got this thing on the back of here. What the hell they really want? Let's read between the lines, what do they, they want, what are they saying, it's not personal to you, it's just the history, and until we face that in the United this is what I'm going to say, because I'm not very political, I'm not political at all, but what I am going to say is, I'm happy that we had this election, because it woke up a lot of you white folks, you can never say again that there's no racism in the United States, mm-hmm. good God I got sick of hearing that because it wasn't racism against you. You didn't experience it every day. You didn't realize Uncle Bob that sits at your Thanksgiving table was a member of the Klux Tan. until you saw him in a march on, on CNN. This woke people up, but then what? What we're doing now is very reactive. What proactive things can we do? And this is the perspective I come from. Because everything right now we're doing in, 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 in inclusion and diversity is very reactive. Like the, the last one, we, oh my God, seeking, desire to seek simple answers to complex problems. We did not get here overnight. We're not going to get out of this overnight. It is a systemic issue. By changing one team in the organization does not make you an inclusive and diverse organization you need to realize that this is hard work and at this point I'm going to speak specifically no hold on give me a second this is where I'm gonna get to it because I want to speak specifically see I'm an ad-libber I don't just all all this stuff can shut down and I can keep going it doesn't matter to me Um, major barriers to community engineering. And specifically, I'm going to talk about uh, inclusion and diversity, lack of expertise. You cannot get volunteers to do my job. You can try, they're going to screw it up. And it's not going to be their fault. I have a unique set of skills, and I'm going to run them down to. You. I have an undergraduate in interior design. So that means I, I can see. Abstracts, I can see symmetry, asymmetry. I see I think in engineering. I like applied sciences. That's why I'm getting a doctorate of Business Administration which is a DBA as opposed to a PhD because a PhD in management is theory. They're writing theories. A DBA um, is someone who takes the theories and applies to be real business problems. I want to solve business problems. I want to just think about them. So I have an undergraduate in interior design a master's in training and development, which means I know how to write curriculums, workshops. I am an expert on adult learning. I understand adult learning theory. So then I went into working in um, after school programs. So I'm an expert in youth development philosophy, which is seeing young people as a positive, resident, and negative, no matter where they come from. Because I was working in Cabrini Cabrini Green Housing Project in Chicago at the time. And it's a challenge to see when someone comes out, being, there's, a, forget that. there's a young boy on my street right now who, he spends more time in jail than out of jail. But as soon as he comes back from jail, he knocks on my door and says, hey, Miss Creighton, I'm back. And I'm like, hey, Luis, are we going to do better? And I know that, hell, he's not. But I'm encouraging, <laughs> and I'm, I, 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 let, I sit there and talk to him because of my youth development training. I see him where he wants to be. I do not hold on to where he is. So then I way I moved from Chicago and there is no structure after school setting so I got into education I never wanted to be a teacher, good God, I didn't want to be in that system. But because I'm happy I was, I got to see what the problems were. And let me tell you, I don't like your kids. <laughs> I don't like your kids and I don't like you for having these kids. <laughs> because what you've done is tell these kids that they can do absolutely nothing, know absolutely nothing, and still get rewarded for it. When we know, when they go out in the real world, that is not the real world. We're not preparing them for the real world. They don't know coping skills. That's why their first instinct, when they get depressed or they get down, is to think about suicide. They they have no continuum. Because they've never experienced stress. They've never experienced failure. Every time something happens, some parent comes in and cleans it up. Uh, We had students who did nothing for four years of high school two weeks left of school, about to graduate, they know they're not about to graduate. You get parents calling the superintendent and now we have to jump through hoops to give them extra credit when they didn't do regular credit (laughs) to get them to graduate because there are numbers you have to meet. What is that teaching somebody? What is that teaching a black male who has done nothing for four years and you wanna be concerned, you wanna wonder why he has no problem with, hell, you have that, I want that, I'm going to take that. So let's not blame this on inner city. This is all of our problems. We've all, well, no, I'm not because I ain't had no kids. (laughs) That was an intentional thing for I was like, I don't want that in my house. (laughs) So, Um, I went there, and then um, I've been in improv classes, I've been in acting classes, I've been in um, singing, um, and now I'm getting GBA because I've always wanted to learn about business, but even with the internet, I couldn't find a structured system to learn about business, so I decided to go into business school. Did I have an idea what I was doing at the end? No. I just got interested in tech after the fact, and it just went that way. I'm just a natural learner. So the people you are bringing in to do to help with your inclusion and diversity do not have my skills. They do not understand how to navigate relationships the way I do. They do not understand how to have complicated conversations with people and still let them walk away with their dignity. They do not understand how to put processes in place to build a business so that every customer experience is the same. So that's a problem. And then you have lack of support. Everybody who's doing this on a lower level, if their organizational leaders are not supporting them or wasting your time, stop lying to yourself. I would rather you just say, you know what, we just don't give a shit about this. Just be honest. Because what you're doing is burning out people who are working hard, and they're never going to get anywhere because you're never going to implement anything that they're telling you to do. And then a lack of authority. To have this job, you need to be able to have the authority to make change. So we see all these 4,500 companies bringing in these very bright, smart black people to be these C-level inclusion and diversity individuals. But do they have the authority to make decisions or do they have to go back to the CEO or board of directors before they make a decision? If I have to do that, then I'm gonna but do, well, I don't have any power. <clears throat> and again, I talked about the resources. This takes time, resource takes money resource, it takes energy resource, it takes a lot to do, just to be on this stage right now, to expend all this energy. People think I don't believe me when I say I'm an introvert. If you don't catch me right outside of this for the hall track, you won't see me. Because I need to go decompress, and I'm looking for the first ride back to my hotel. Because this is hard for me. But I know it needs to be done, so this is what I do. Okay, so um, Peter Singh is, the theory that my research is based on is um, learning organizations. So again, it's the systemic idea of thinking about changing the system instead of thinking in silos. So we always assume causality to things. So if I trip, you, everybody looks to see, oh, did she trip over something, right? So then you bring in the people and say, oh, is there something on the stage? It could be I'm clumsy. It could be I'm inebriated. It could be a whole lot of reasons. But we assume causality based on something that happened before. So I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to get some specifics about the research because this is a Node conference. Some specifics about the research that I did um, to prepare for the Node Interactive Um, keynote, that if you really want more detail about this, you need to go watch. So more broadly, current reality itself is, for many of us, the enemy. We don't want to face what the reality is. We fight against what is. We're not so much drawn to what we want to create as as we are to repel what we have. So again, what I'm seeing is, you don't like the culture but you really aren't drawn to create something new. So you just don't like this, but the effort is going to take to do something new that's not really what you're interested in. You just want this to stop, right? <laughs> By this logic, the deeper the fear, the more you, we abhor what is, the more motivated we are to change. Things must be get bad enough or people will not change in fundamental ways this is the truth think about it in your life in the last year with all this hotel living I've gained too much weight for me but it's easier to eat the food that, that's provided for me first of all it's free <laughs> um, well it's not free because I work for it this is my job And so it takes a, and and like the hotel we're at, yeah, there's a pool, and there's a, didn't bring my workout clothes. Hell, I knew I wouldn't bring my workout clothes. (laughs) But that's just, you know, it's like it really has to get bad. And I have to tell myself, do I want to get it so bad that I can't physically do what I need to do? I'm having amazing experiences traveling the world. Do I not want to be able to experience those things because my body is just not able to do that? So I need to continue to have a conversation with myself. So again, I want to be in alignment. So for me, it's about me being honest with myself. And you need to be honest with yourself as well. So let me tell you some of the things that I experienced Um, and then I'm gonna open it up for some, I'm gonna answer some questions that I always get. Um, so everybody here probably understands, remembers the whole No twitter debacle. You know, the Twitter, fi- I mean, yeah, for like two weeks there was this hell on wheels about No on Twitter. And I just got accepted to speak at Node Interactive and Node Viver as a keynote. And I was like, oh hell, what did I walk myself into? So, because I was looking at some of those comments and they were rough. They were awful. They sh- it displayed the worst in human beings. And so I was concerned, particularly for my physical safety. Because again, being a black female, I do not want to run- walk into a room of angry white men. Because I'm gonna say what I gotta say. I just need to make sure this is security right there, because um, I ain't trying to be a martyr for this or anybody else. <laughs> and, and also remember I have yet to get paid, so man, I'm not taking a bullet for you at all. <laughs> so as I did my research, because again, it's the system. I was like, There's, I wanna make sure I get this, get the whole picture. I don't wanna go by what I see on Twitter, which most of us did, let's be honest. We see something on Twitter, we retweet things without checking facts, we do a whole bunch of other things. So I started interviewing people, and what I found was the people who were making the most disgusting comments weren't even in the known community. That stuff just came up in their Twitter feed and they just found some way to insert their vile spew all over the place. But because you didn't know that, you started responding, which started feeding the trolls. And it just kept going and going and going and going. Also, what I found is the action that was taken that everybody was pissed off about. Again, we think causality, we think that was what blew up. No, it blew up because of some stuff that, that, that no jazz groups did not take care of two years ago. And that blew up because they didn't take care of some stuff that happened before. And I, this is from people I've talked to. I've talked to people on the leadership team, and they admit they did not want to address these things. They did not know how to address these things. So it's like sweeping stuff under the rug. It does not go away. The pile just gets bigger. And at some point, you're going to trip over it. And so one of the questions I get now is, so what's now for No? What's now for you? I'm going to be honest. I told you I'm going to be as honest. This is my most honest conversation. After my NODE experience, after speaking to members of leadership on the No team, they're great individuals. I personally don't see enough momentum moving forward to say that this community is going to change anytime soon. There were several conversations I had when I was there where I had to tell people I can't answer that question because that's something I get paid for consulting. Because people want to always stop me in the hall, again, the simple answer to the complex issue, and say, oh, I'm having this issue in my organization, can you give me an answer? If anybody gave you an answer without doing any kind of research into your organization, you're wasting your money. That is not. That's not how this stuff changes. These are systemic problems. Also, there's a challenge with the open source community of how do you fund certain things. Until there's a funding structure that pays for the things that you say you value, then you don't value it. Everything that I see, I'm gonna say everything because that's an absolute. Many of the things that I see online, and this is not just NoJS, this is many of the online communities that I've seen, that I've just been researching. Many of the online organizations, I mean, look at Uber. I don't know why everybody thought when they brought in a new CEO, things were going to change. That is the culture of that organization. So everybody's surprised when something new happened. Keep happening until they're ready to do the hard work or they go out of business because a competitor has come in and taken all their market share. I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently, this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable, is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying. Troublemaking as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is a necessary evolution for the overall health and well being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N 1 Kim Creighton 1 and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. out of business because a competitor has come in and taken all their market share. And this is the thing, I'm going to walk you through a scenario for Node.js to me. So the question I asked was, is there a direct competitor to Node.js? And my answer was no. A lot of people were going to another, um, I forgot the name of the group, but it wasn't, wasn't, even with the fork, it's not a competitor. People see that that's going to be merged back in. So if there's no competitor to me from a business person, there's really no incentive to change. There's just, I don't like where we are, but there's no incentive to do the work that needs to happen to change it. So, what happens is, you continue to ask people, newbies, people who are underrepresented and marginalized communities, to come into this code base, they have awful experiences, and they leave. Which means you're not getting fresh eyes, you're not getting new perspectives, you're not getting any of that any of that stuff, so the code base becomes stale, because now you only have the same people working on the code base. With the same people working on the code base, there are multi-billion dollar companies using Node.js. So this is where, to me, the argument for they need to be paying for this comes in. Because when we aren't effectively able to update the code base, Make sure it's secure because we don't have the manpower or the perspective to see that. Because if you're working on the code base all the day, you don't see, you don't have the perspective on the person who's been working in machine learning or AI who comes in and wants to put their piece in there or the person who does this, that, and I'm going to back up a little bit because we need to be concerned about AI and machine learning and bias and prejudice and racism because at some point. guys you're going to be the other as well because these jobs with these computers can do your job if you have not figured out a way to differentiate yourself to be a problem solver you're an other as well your job is gone to the next computer the next um, AI uh, machine learning program and so as I'm speaking to you now Some of you, it may be going on deaf ears. Some of you may be like, I wish you would get off the stage. But I see some people nodding and 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 this means something to them, giving them some perspective they never had. I can't do that with a computer. I can't do that with a program. So if I have somebody who's working on a um, machine learning or AI program who does not have this perspective, once that's coded into the, the system, how do you get that out? These are the things we need to be thinking about. Not just for ourselves, but we have global concerns. Our customers are global. We do not want to encode something into programs that inhibit people from Medellin, Colombia using our our software. People from Taiwan using our software. These are things we need to be very specific and clear about, but you can't with only one perspective. So, I'm gonna go back to my story. So you have a, a Home Depot, a Walmart, Coke, all these people who use it, no jazz. They don't understand about the code base. They have developers, but they're not working. You know, They might assign somebody, part of their job is working on the code base, but that's not the entirety of the code base. Once that code base is insecure, that goes directly into their code base. And now, what they need to be concerned about is the security of their, uh, their customer experiences. So we need to stop thinking about things just right here and start looking at the long-term effects of things. If I do something, it's like the butterfly effect. If I flap my wings, flap my wings now, is it gonna cause a tsunami lately? The these are the questions people aren't asking themselves because again, we want these quick fixes. So when I get stopped in the hall and somebody wants to say, oh, can you answer this question? Or, or um, I had a conversation um, yesterday, the second conversation, because somebody um, asked me, why aren't we, why, what about the interview process? We can't get women, people of color, past the interview process. Because the interview process in tech is not set up for how women and people of color process. That's, it's set up for how men compete. That's how it's set up. And then we think about, if you look at Google and Microsoft and they want these, they do these hard tests. Majority of these people, these young men, are straight out of college or in college, so they have the time, months, to study for this test. If you are a wife, a mother, a father, you're trying to bring, you don't have, you're already a full-time job, you don't have the hours it takes to study for one of those tests. That's, that's that, you can't be included in a. you can, they can give you an interview, but you won't be successful. That's just like me taking one of my mildly intellectual disabled students and telling them to take the SAT and expecting them to pass. There's nothing wrong with my student. This is just a test that they cannot pass. Now if I, if I have one who's high functioning and I give them verbal, a verbal test, that's what differentiation is all about. So I was required to give people tests in different ways. Some of them had to watch the computer and have it read to them. Some I had to read to them. But they got it based on where they were. You cannot, we can no longer have a blanket interview system. This is an information economy. This is no longer an industrial economy where you give a person a manual and they learn their jobs. This is an information economy and information is nothing until it's internalized and becomes knowledge. That does not happen in the current um, interview process. Whiteboarding does not do it. Because if you're you're a person who is test phobic, you may know all, every library, every function, everything, and you may be writing stuff at home but the fact that you can't take past this test does not mean you don't know it or you can't learn it. We need to stop doing our testing. how we introduce people to tech is antiquated. We are an information economy. We are not an industrial economy. Ex- explicit knowledge means very little to us now. It's tacit knowledge. Explicit knowledge, let me define, is that information that can be put in the manual, that you can. You know, your your HR handbook, the thing you sign off on, tacit knowledge is that knowledge that comes from learned experiences, that's hard to capture, but is the most valuable thing you need for competitive advantage. That's what organizations are competing on now, that tacit knowledge that they can use for differentiation and innovation. Because that's what helps them differentiate themselves and become competitive in a global economy. Not the manual, because everybody has the manual. So I'm going to give you an example. Everybody, there's there's a for and against codes of conduct. A code of conduct by itself is worthless. And I know I'm hurting some people's feelings, but oh well, this is what I'm here for. A code of conduct is a list of things that we will not do, we do not accept. That's reactive. Nice, be nice is not measurable. Be kind is not measurable. (laughs) Be respectful is not measurable. So what I'm going to do is tell you again, flap my wings, and go over here and and tell you how to make up an effective code of conduct. That's the one thing I'm going to give you for free today. So you have your list of what we don't want. And I'm going to talk about sexual harassment because that's the thing that everybody's talking about. And everybody wants to say, I didn't surprise, so sexually harass anybody, da da, da da So let's talk about that. So you have, we have a no sexual harassment policy. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? That's not measurable. So now what we need to do is define terms. So I'm going to look at this young lady and say, hey, in this organization, this is how we define sexual harassment. Do you agree with this term? Yes or no? All right. So once this person, we've talked about it, I want to make sure you understand it. This is, so you can do that in a video. This, as our organization, this is how we define sexual harassment. You don't have to like it, but this is how we define it, all right? But that's not enough. Now you have to say, this is how we find, define sexual harassment for people in power. Because there's a whole other level of sexual harassment. So this is, as an organization, if you're in power, this is what sexual look, harassment looks like, and these are the, the, the outcomes of it, or whatever. And uh, do you agree? Now it's only at this point, can when someone says, you sexually harassed me, or I've had, uh, I, I want to complain about sexual harassment, then I now come to the person and says, okay this is what we defined as sexual harassment right right your behavior broke this this and this you don't have to agree with it but this is what you agreed to and there's consequences to that if you don't do that anybody can say well I didn't know that's not how I define it you can't hold them accountable current total conducts as they are cannot hold anybody accountable that's why they have so much backlash because there are no teeth in it you're just saying that's being reactive let's do the proactive thing let's educate people because now people know what creepy is but other people creepy is fine <laughs> <laughs> so you need to be able to say okay this is what creepy is and creepy is not fine here But that only comes because you have inclusion and diversity. That only comes if you have people at the table who are different perspectives sitting at the table creating this code of conduct. and saying, this might be a question right here. This might, this, might, this might be something we have a problem with. Let's define this even further. Another question I get often is why are they so mean? They don't listen to me. They mansplain. Again, well, I haven't said this. I have a motto in my life. Do not want to be right or do not want to be happy? So the reason I'm making a pivot is because currently working in inclusion and diversity is not making me right or happy. So it's I'm just not happy. So that's why I want to focus on business, and I'll talk about that in just a second. So, if I want to be happy, I'm not gonna assume that every man is being an asshole. They just don't know. They just don't know. This is how they talk to each other. So, (laughs) a man who tries to mansplain me, I want to educate them for the wider female audience. So this is gonna be a painful lesson for him, but he'll be okay. Because I'm gonna say, because I, have done a lot of my own spiritual work. Like my, one of my favorite books is The Four Agreements. And one of them is, be intentional with your words, don't take anything personal. Those are two. So I've worked on this. And that's the only reason I can really do this work. And so I'm gonna to explain to him that, excuse me, I'm very intentional about what I say. There's nothing you need to read into what I say or take out of it exactly, except for exactly what I say. Now, if you want more of a clarification on that, that's a conversation we can have. But what I said is what I meant. And unless there's further convica- conversation, we need to move on. And most men are just like, wow, they think of it that way. I've been called aggressive so many freaking times. I'm not aggressive. It's just when I say no, that's what I mean. That's an issue that women have. We say, no, it's, oh, because we're in our periods. Or we're just PMSing, or we're cranky, or she's just not great with people. No, damn it, I meant no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I just do that to my at school all the time. My manager, my super, my, uh, my principal, they knew me. They asked me to do something. I said, no, don't ask me again. <laughs> because what I was doing was way more than I needed to do. So I'm not going to do that thing. And that's how some of the sexual harassment stuff gets me. People people don't understand those boundaries. I didn't admit. No. And move on. So I'm not aggressive. I'm assertive. Bless you. I'm assertive. And I had to be assertive. I was the only child. Black girl in the South, the only, all the time. If I allowed the environments around me, I would have been turned inside out. I I can remember at some point saying, man, I wish I was white. I didn't understand what that meant because I was a child, but I just knew even at that level that there was a different game being played. And so I've developed the person that I am very intentional about what I say. And, I, and that is how women and people of color are going to succeed in this. You come with a unique perspective that needs to be respected. You don't need to apologize for who you are. You don't need to apologize for your experience. But your experience needs to be told so that other people can understand the different perspectives. That's why I encourage people of underrepresented and marginalized communities, this is the best place to be is on this stage. You guys are looking at me. As an introvert, I don't even have to do that. I hate small talk. I hate first dates. So I don't even have to do that. You guys know me. You can come up to me and we can start a conversation right in the middle. I love it. But we need to get more people from different perspectives on the stage telling their stories so that people understand what is out here, what their customers look like, what the communities look like. And that again, white men, you're not the only experts in the room for the first, well you never have been the only experts in the room, we just didn't say that. We're just not shutting up now. But it's good because it makes you better people. It makes your experiences better. It makes all of our experiences better. And we need to stop thinking about the short term. It did not take us overnight to get where we are. It was decisions that were consciously or unconsciously made. There is this, um, this physics. The, the something abhors a vacuum. What is the first word? The nature? Yeah, nature abhors a vacuum. That's a, a law of physics. If you're not intentional about your community and your values at the beginning, something that you don't want is going to take its place. So while you're iterating your product to service, it's time to iterate your organizational culture. If you're doing two-week sprints, then every two weeks you need to be going to your customers, going to your internal, external stakeholders, and asking them, how are we doing? What does this look like? We say we value. Um, customer experience. Okay, let's. That's not measurable. What do you mean by customer experience? We want to make sure that we lower our return rates. So in that two-week sprint, you're reaching out to customers and asking them, How can we lower? How can we make this a better experience for you that you don't return our products or services? And you learn from that because that you take that information, you internalize it, and it becomes knowledge. It's worthless if it's just information. That's why we're inundated with data. Data means nothing until somebody interprets it and disseminates it. So with that, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag call the Scene community. Just visit the website at com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.